the Healthy Families Podcast, and I am your host, Jenny Hatch. Today, I'd like to weave together a story that you may not be connecting the dots yourself, but I'd like to help you connect the dots to hopefully see things a little bit more clearly. I have been following this story really since I became interested in nuclear war, and that, that happened when I was a teenager. My dad was really into preparedness. He was a prepper. He had sold bomb shelters when he was in college in the 50s, and there was a real scare around nuclear Armageddon. And so he was a door-to-door salesman who went around selling bomb shelters. And because of that, he was very educated about what it would take to survive a nuclear bomb. So I grew up in my father's home being influenced by his worldview. We were even interviewed by one of the Detroit newspapers back in the day, and they did a cover story about about our family. They even quoted me, Jenny Tripp, age, I think I was 15, 16, somewhere in there. And they had come out to our home and taken a photo of us in our, quote, bomb shelter, unquote, which was really just a crawl space in the basement where we kept all of our supplies. And we had you know, food stored and guns and ammo and garden seeds and 72-hour bug-out bags and camping equipment. And this was just how we lived. And so uh, you'll find that people who are members of my faith, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, are preppers. And we are that way because we've literally been commanded by modern prophets to be prepared. After the stock market uh, collapse in the 1930s, the church became very serious about the members having not just food stored away, but also a supply of cash in case you weren't able to pay your bills for a period of time and having proper insurance and documentation and just taking care of business as kind of one of the fundamental principles of our faith. And so we have spent many, many hours educating each other on how to do these things. And quite often we'll open up our efforts to the general public with preparedness fairs. And around the Y2K episode in the early aughts, like in 1998, leading up to that event, Um, I taught a class that I opened up to members of my community and had over 80 people come during months long Saturday class that I had, I held for, I don't know, probably like a year before that. And it was just kind of word of mouth. I had a little bit of local press coverage, but mostly word of mouth. And these people would show up and I'd take them on a tour of our home and show them our year's supply of food. We had a three-month supply of water in 55-gallon drums and a variety of other water containers. And then just a you know a variety of supplies that should the power be off and the, uh, the water not be delivered, we would be able to function within our home, which at the time I had four kids and a dog and a year's supply of food in a very small space. Our, our home was a house that was only... 1,500 square feet. So six people and all of our stuff 
in this small space. And here I had all these people coming to me <laughs> as homemaker to teach them how to do it. And my main message to them was you don't have to have a big house. We didn't even have a garage. Uh, but we made things out of our food storage. We made uh, furniture out of our food storage. For years, we had our kids' beds on boxes of wheat that were in number 10 cans. We made little end tables and sideboards. And uh, the sideboard next to my kitchen table was a uh, pile of boxes for years. And this is what we did to store our food. We just kind of had it stashed around the house. And we had our 72-hour kit in our front hall closet for a time until a, a little mama mouse gave birth to a litter of mice pups and my daughter's 72-hour kit. I remember the day we discovered that. It was, it was an interesting day because here's all these mice and, uh, and Allie screaming, there's mice in my 72-hour kit. The kids used to go into their kits and get snacks if we were out of snacks for school. So they would go in there and kind of pull the snacks out as needed. I also kept some cash in there. And over the years, we never used that kit for a emergency, but we used it a whole heck of a lot for things like, oh, I don't have anything to put in my kid's lunch besides a sandwich. Go get the granola bars out of the 72-hour kit. Or I need some cash to take the car to the car wash. Go grab that roll of quarters in the 72-hour kit. And you know what? Using it like that is also the way that it's intended to be used. Hey, I'm out of this and I don't have time to run to the store or I need a roll of quarters or 50 bucks or whatever. And it filled in the gaps so that life was smoother and we weren't panicking all the time. And so believe me, we panicked enough as it was <laughs> raising all those kids. But having that 72 hour kit definitely helped here and there over the years. Every year we'd go camping with our church congregation up at Rocky Mountain National Park. And that's when I would use the food in there to kind of, you know, use up whatever I had and then replace the food and replace the clothes. I didn't do it every year. Sometimes I forgot, but I tried to stay on top of it. And I packed away for clothing, sweatpants and sweatshirts because those can double as pajamas. And I tried to put them in there two sizes than what my kids currently were. So that if we had it a year or two years down the road, they weren't looking at outfits that were too small for them. Uh, but we never have had to use it. And the kids are all grown and they're now adults living their adult lives. And um, we took apart the 72-hour kit, have a little bug out bag for my husband and I in case we ever need to evacuate. I, I think the only reason we'd evacuate here now is if we had a fire or a flood. There was a big flood here in Longmont in 2012, where we live. And uh, that caused a lot of people to lose their homes and have to relocate. And then there was a fire, a huge fire, two years ago, maybe it was a year ago. It's hard to remember. Right where we used to live in Louisville, Colorado, a thousand structures were taken down, or maybe it was 2000. It was a lot of homes were lost. Many people from our church congregation lost their homes. And these things happen, and they're going to increasingly happen because it's been prophesied in the scriptures that they're going to happen with increasing fury. The scriptures compare these end times events to the contractions that a woman feels when she's giving birth to a baby. 
as a, a baby's getting closer to being born, the contractions tend to come one on top of the other and increase in intensity. And comparing these end times events of fire and flood and war and rumors of wars, these have been prophesied throughout the ages to indicate that the Savior was going to return. Jesus Christ was going to return again in his glory. And these events that we're witnessing right now have been prophesied from ancient and modern prophets. And here we are in the midst of them with earthquakes and fires and floods. And now there's a blizzard hitting all across northern America. It hit us hard last night here in Colorado. And these things are worse sometimes than we've ever recorded them being. And it's scary and everybody wonders what's going on. And I'm sitting here going, well, we were warned. We were fully warned. And so um, I would encourage anybody listening to this to search the scriptures and read Matthew chapter 24 and the book of Mark, which is a second witness to what Matthew, Matthew recorded in that chapter. And find out for yourself what Jesus Christ had to say about the end times. It said in verse 19 of Matthew 24, it was going to be particularly hard on pregnant mothers who were caring for infants. It said, woe, woe unto those who would be pregnant and nursing a baby during those times. And when I saw the story of a mother in Turkey whose apartment complex fell down on her and she and her husband were killed. But before they died, she gave birth to a baby and was able to hand off the baby to the people who had come to rescue them. And you saw these images of a rescuer carrying out this little baby girl without her mom. They couldn't save the mom, but they were able to save the baby. I think that's emblematic of the type of woe that the scriptures were talking about. And it just broke my heart to see that. And yet it still was so triumphant to think of that mom alone with a building on top of her. I'm sure it was dusty and difficult to breathe. And she was able to stay alive long enough to give birth to this baby. I mean, that's a miracle. It's just a miracle, and it still brings me to tears to think about it. Anyway, I'm going to go through a couple of things as I talk about this topic of Russia invading Ukraine, because we have people covering different sides of the story. People like Michael Tracy and a person on Substack who goes by the moniker Clandestine. And others who have got pieces of the story. But I like to look at the whole big picture and weave those pieces together into a tapestry that hopefully can expose, fully expose what we're seeing. Because there's been so much that's happened in the past and behind the scenes that sometimes it can be difficult to see what's going on. I would point to Seymour Hersh's substack. He wrote another post that hit just this morning. And he talked about President Johnson and the Tonkin fraud before 
the Vietnam War. And the lies that were told, the bald-faced lies that were told by the President of the United States to goad America, to pressure America into the Vietnam War. And I would encourage you to go read that. I believe he's laying a foundation with this article and probably more to come for pointing out the tactics that have been used to bully the American people and their children of war fighting age, bully them into these all encompassing wars. So go read Seymour, Seymour Hirsch, read his original article on the Biden administration blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline, an act of war. And then he wrote a response to that, talking about the media's lack of coverage of this story, lack of response, even people claiming it had been debunked. And now this third piece talking about the history. And this is the deep dive I'd like to do with Michael Tracy, because I feel like with him over in Germany, getting in the face of politicians, American politicians, asking the important questions about what happened with Nord Stream and the Nord Stream pipeline and the links between Anthony Blinken and this event and Ukraine and Anthony Blinken's relationship and posture and position with the Iraq war. This is some history that I admit I had never heard. So Michael Tracy wrote this in his Twitter feed this morning. He said, Anthony Blinken wrote an op-ed in February 2002 agitating against negotiations with Saddam Hussein and warning that the American sheriff had his gun holstered and ready to shoot. So he shared a just a photo, screen grab from the New York Times saying that there can be no repeat of the late 1990s, no negotiation, no negotiating with Saddam Hussein, no watering down the inspection teams, no doubt as to the result if Saddam fails to cooperate fully. And Washington's partners must agree to enforce, not just embrace, arms control and non-proliferation agreements. These are the requirements for the American sheriff to keep his gun holstered. Well, Anthony Blinken can write, using that great American West imagery. Anthony Tracy also shared a post written by Anthony Blinken recently, October 4th, 2017. And this is an opinion piece for the New York Times. And he titled it, Time for the Trump Administration to Arm Ukraine. And he said, defensive weapons for Ukraine is an idea whose time has come. Against all expectations, the Trump administration is not giving up on Ukraine and going back to business as usual with Moscow. Russia can stay where it is, but so will the United States-led front against its aggression. So here's a view from Bernie World when Blinken was picked as Secretary of State. Remember, Bernie bros tend to be those who are very anti-war, at least historically. 
So this is what a Bernie bro named Matt said. A, a new and great thing to have a do top diplomat who has regularly engaged with progressive grassroots. So regularly engaging Blinken with the grassroots, who I would assume he's, he's saying these are the anti-war progressives. So Matt said, this is a good choice. Tony has the strong confidence of the president-elect and the knowledge and experience for the important work of rebuilding U.S. diplomacy. Again, implying that under President Trump, U.S. diplomacy was a dud, it was dead, it was bad. And he's going to get Tony in there, Tony Blinken in there to fix it. And this Matt guy in November of 2020 said, it will also be a new and great thing to have a top diplomat who has regularly engaged with progressive grassroots. He's giving a solid nod. So a report prepared for the Senate Foreign Relations Committee in July of 2003, titled Staying the Course in Iraq, was authored, signed by none other than Joseph Biden and Anthony Blinken as the Democratic Staff Director. This is Washington 2003. They wanted to stay the course. And we all know what stay the course means for the military industrial complex. This sucker is going to go on for years is what is being said. Final paragraph of key findings. Creating a stable and representative Iraq at peace with its neighbors is critical to the success of U.S. policy toward Iraq and the Middle East. America must stay the course. At the same time, our policies and expectations in Iraq and the region should be tempered with a clear-eyed realism about the risks and costs associated with this effort. And boy, the American people learned what those costs were going to be as year after year after year played out. And there was no resolution, either in Iraq or Afghanistan. And the people were hosed host financially. Michael Tracy six hours ago said in keeping with his staunch opposition to negotiating with Saddam in 2002, Blinken has a pattern of canceling diplomatic meetings and cutting off negotiations at important moments. Curious behavior for someone whose job is allegedly to be America's top diplomat. And he shares a link to an article from Reuters saying that U.S. Blinken cancels meeting with Lavrov, says Russian moves are a rejection of diplomacy. So that's that. And then here's another one from the Financial Times. Anthony Blinken cancels China trip following discovery of spy balloon. U.S. Secretary of State calls it irresponsible act as Beijing denies espionage claims and insists it's a civilian airship. So here's Blinken canceling two opportunities to talk with Russia and China and him saying, yeah, no, I'm going to cancel that because he's a diplomat. Dang it. And we all need to trust that this experienced guy is all over it. So let's go over to clandestine, who I put a link in the chat in the space bar above and as a link in the bar 
to show you the map that Clandestine has on his Substack. Actually, I think this is on his Twitter, showing the laboratories and where they're located in Ukraine. Exclusive U.S. biolabs in Ukraine. They're financed by the U.S. Department of Defense. That is a fact. The laboratories are located in Odessa. I don't know how to say all these words. And then there's two other possible locations. So at least 10. And he shares a map of that. The biological threat reduction program in Ukraine was something that was done under the Obama administration with President Biden as vice president acting as the intermediary. So this is an effort to reduce the biological threats that were popping up around the world, whether they were deliberate, accidental, or natural of the world's most dangerous infectious diseases. And in in April of 2020, President Zinsky visited the SED unit and Pokrovskyo city, Donsk, and familiarized, familiarized himself with the capabilities of the mobile labs to help military and civilian people during the COVID-19 epidemic. So they've got mobile labs and they have actual labs. And they're studying the world's most deadly pathogens on Russia's borders. It's just for defense. Not that big of a deal, right? Wrong. Russia has been accusing the U.S. of creating bioweapons at their border. And they have done this. He links to an article from Newsweek from April of 2021. Vladimir Putin's advisor says U.S. is developing biological weapons near Russia. I'm wondering how many people were killed in Russia because of COVID-19. That'd be an interesting number to find out. They have good reason to believe that as the U.S. NIH-funded gain-of-function in Wuhan, then COVID-19, quote, got out and it ruined the world. Russia and China asked the U.N. for the U.S. allies to be checked and limited in bio-capabilities four months ago. Do you all know what this means? China and Russia indirectly and correctly blame the U.S. for the COVID-19 outbreak and are fearful that the U.S. and its allies have more viruses, bioweapons, to let out. This is massive. So how does that pertain to Ukraine? Well, where in Ukraine are the explosions taking place? Here's a reported explosion in Lutsk. This is 75 miles inland in far western Ukraine, the opposite border of Russia. What does this have to do with Crimea, Crimea and Donks in the east? I know I'm butchering these words. Reportedly, Kiev is seen massive missile strikes as well at their airports and military installations. Kiev is also on the western side of Ukraine. Also a city, the U.S. government has confirmed that the U.S. have built biolabs in. This all just came out like six hours ago. Putin also continues to call it a special 
military operation. Says he wants to demilitarize and denazifize the country, but not occupy it. What does he mean by that? What is he really targeting? He targeted airports and military capabilities, but if Putin really believes, as his administration has stated publicly multiple times, that the U.S. are creating bioweapons at Russia's borders, then this entire situation could be way bigger. Russia and China accused the U.S. of creating bioweapons at their borders, and none of us heard about it, and our media wrote it off as disinformation and largely didn't report on it other than to call it a conspiracy theory. For all of this to make sense, you must be privy to the reality that the USNA did indeed create COVID-19 in Wuhan, which has been largely accepted as the reality and confirmed in the emails between Collins and Fauci. We need a reporter to ask the Biden administration or international reporters to ask their administrations what they know about U.S. biolabs in Ukraine. So that's the end of clandestine's tweets. I would encourage you to read his many reports on his Substack. I think he's excellent. And the final thing I would like to talk about is a case in Utah that I've been covering since June of 2022. There is a attorney there named Mike Levitt, or not Mike Levitt, it is David Levitt, and he has deep ties to Ukraine. He lived in Kiev for years with his family and was the best friend of the president at the time, and it's been reported that he engaged in all sorts of interesting activities in Ukraine and recently outed himself as being accused of the most sordid evil activities that um, are known to man. I decided to publish the victim statements on my own blog healthyfamilies.life under a blog post titled No More Secrets and with other journalists, some mainstream, mostly independent journalists have been doing deep dives on those victim statements to expose not only what the victims have claimed was done to them, but also to call for the authorities to arrest those involved. And it was reported just today that David Levitt and his wife have purchased a castle in Scotland, Knockderry Castle in Cove at Cove in Argyle. And they paid 1.15 million pounds to buy this estate, this castle, the Levitts apparently intend to devote their time to restoring the castle, which provides them a handy excuse to decamp from Utah over to Scotland and the United Kingdom. As the Utah Sheriff's Office continue their investigation of David Lee Hamblin and his 
alleged accomplices in the LDS Church of Satan. Levitt and his wife Shilom will likely be making their way for the exit, heading to the United Kingdom, and they will be working on this castle. When one has lost the elected office, and David Levitt lost his campaign in 2022, he was running for county attorney. When one has lost the elected office that enables one to disband and disperse special victims unit prosecutors specializing in sex crimes while allegedly serving as the LDS Church of Satan's conspirator, one develops an understandable desire to pursue castle renovations abroad. And then this person who wrote this report, it's Investigations and Ritual Abuse. Goel is the reporter, went on to talk about how it's handy for this couple to have a project outside of the U.S. where it may be more difficult to extradite them back into the U.S. should they be arrested for their many, many crimes that have been alleged by people within their orbit. So, like I said at the start of the show, my goal was to provide a big overview of what's what. If it's true that the COVID-19 virus and many other viruses were in fact crafted, gain of function in Ukrainian labs and then dispersed around the world, including Wuhan, and then China is blamed for this, and the whole world's mad at China. What were you doing? What were you thinking? But the source of it is really Ukraine. And ultimately, the funder of it is none other than Anthony Fauci, Francis Collins, and the deep state actors in America. Um, I believe that's a story that needs to be told. And if it's true that Putin, and now with the help of China, apparently, partnering together to say, hey, we want to get to the bottom of this too. Many people in our countries have also died suddenly, whether from the virus itself or from the cure, the supposed cure in the form of the vaccine. We want to know the truth about these things. And they're asking for investigations. And Putin himself has said, uh, that's why I'm going to go into Ukraine and figure things out. If it's all true, then we need to start connecting these dots between what's what, who did what, what the true source of the war, war is, what the invasion was, what the invasion is. What is Putin trying to find out? He said himself he's not there to occupy. He's not there to take over. He's there to do some investigative work about who, what, where with the labs. And based on what I watched with what's reported about David Levitt is once Russia invaded and we're heading into Kiev, he got on a plane and hopped over to Ukraine mighty quick. He said he had some things he had to tie up, loose ends to tie up in his apartment in Ukraine and then came home to Utah to um, to continue trying to be elected. By then, things were coming out about him in the Utah press to the point where he felt obligated to hold a press conference. And it was at this press conference that he identified the victim statement, the very victim statement that I published on my blog. 
And um, I would encourage everybody to click over there to healthyfamilies.life and read the victim statements to find find out more about David Levitt and the activities he's been involved in, allegedly, by a, a report taken by the Provo Police Department in and around 2014, 2012 to 2014. It's all interesting stuff. It's all connected. And this, this David Levitt even has been identified by none other than the Department of Homeland Security in America as being involved in human trafficking, trying to adopt a child from a Montana Native American tribe. He promised the elder of the tribe, the the leader, the chief, that in exchange for him procuring one of their children, to adopt into his own family, a little, a little girl, he would provide the chief with a Buffalo sale to some people over in Ukraine that he was friends with who were interested in buying some Buffalo. So could this story get any weirder? I don't know. I don't know how it could be any more weird, but it's the truth. And again, I would encourage you to just, do some investigations, look around, think it through, maybe pray about it a little bit. I know when you hear the word satanic, that's off-putting to many people. But when you look at the victim statement, and realize how seriously those involved in these activities were in their worship of that person, Satan, how could I say it was anything else? This this is the person they worship and sacrifice their own children to. So thank you for tuning in. I hope everybody has a great day. I'd encourage you to follow Michael Tracy on Twitter. Just waiting for him to wake up about COVID. He still has drunk the Kool-Aid and believes that, you know, it all just kind of happened and thinks vaccines are great. I'm waiting for the day when he comes out publicly and says, you know, I think we've all been had. He's smart enough to figure it out, but he's he's a little bit naive about the medical mafia. And I'm grateful for clandestine. It's a guy named Jacob who came out of the box a couple of weeks ago and said his real name. I think he said Jacob Wheel. Anyway, he's got some great information on his substack. Read Seymour Hirsch. He's definitely got the skinny on how the Biden administration manipulated the Ukraine war. And if it's true that he's the guy, he's the one who said, yeah, blow up that pipeline. That's a war crime. And I would like to see him do some time for that. But more than that, I would like the truth to be exposed about the biolabs. So this is Jenny Hatch at Healthy Families. Thank you for stopping by. I hope you have a great day.